Good morning, Door of Hope. It's good to see you all. My name's Christy, and uh, we're continuing in our series today called Life, Money, and Hope. Can you remember the most exciting invitation that you've ever received? Maybe it was because it came in an awesome envelope with calligraphy and a wax seal. That probably meant you were going to visit the Queen, but maybe it was just because you really, really were desperate to go to an event and the invitation came and you were so excited to be there. Maybe it was an invitation to an awards ceremony and you won an award. Maybe it was just because you received it and it was actually on paper. And in 2017, that's super exciting when you get an invitation that's on paper. We just read from Matthew, Ben read for us, about the calling of the disciples. Really, it's an invitation that Jesus gave to them to join him. And it doesn't tell us in the Bible how they knew about Jesus, but I imagine that they knew who he was and had been following this man in uh, paying attention to what he was doing. He would have been teaching in the synagogue and they would have been hearing really different teaching, new stuff that they'd never heard before, maybe radical stuff that was so different to the rabbis they usually heard speak in the synagogue. And when he came to them, they had this understanding and maybe sense of excitement about who he was. And then he said, come and follow me. And they did, 12 of them did. And they became Jesus' inner circle. They became his disciples, which is a word we don't often use uh, these days in really any other context than being a disciple of Jesus or a disciple of somebody in a religious context. But a follower of Jesus works as a disciple. I like the word apprentice. An apprentice is someone who stands at the shoulder of the person they're learning from. They see how they operate, the language they use, the tools they use, the skills, how they operate in business or in their craft. They learn from a master. And really, that's what Jesus was. The master and the disciples were his apprentices. And in the end, he did actually leave them and they took over his work doing what he was doing, preaching the good news of who God was. So being a disciple of Jesus today is really that same thing. He invites us to follow, to participate in what he's doing, what God is doing on this earth, and we come, stand at his shoulder, and learn to be like him. We read about what he did, how he lived his life, but we also lead, read about his words and what he taught us. Maybe your 20 minutes in the chair is an opportunity. You sit down and you read the Gospels and you say, who is this Jesus? And you become more of a disciple of who he is. My discipleship journey started when I was about eight at a kids' camp in far north Queensland, and I've been on that journey ever since. And I know many of you have been on that journey uh, maybe someone invited you to church today. If so, welcome. It's good to have you here. Uh, maybe your journey has started recently and uh, is a new thing for you. 
That journey for me changed quite dramatically in 2012 when God invited Danny, my husband and I, and our two kids to something new, a new invitation. And he invited us to leave our full-time jobs and roles and start something new with him, which we didn't know what that would be. So Danny was the creative arts minister here at Door of Hope, and I was operations manager and worked as a nurse. And we resigned those positions and sold our house and went to Mexico, which was a great place, to listen to God for about six months and to wait to see what was next in our discipleship journey, in our apprenticeship with Jesus. In the last couple of weeks of being there, he told us, or invited us actually, to Worldview Centre for Intercultural Studies uh, in St. Leonard's, which is a missionary training college where um, we live in community, disciple students, and uh, teach them how to be missionaries in a cross-cultural context, so in a context that's very different in culture to the one that they're used to. Danny's now the vice principal of Worldview, he's a lecturer there, and I do promotions and marketing and manage building projects and all sorts of interesting things. But the invitation was very clear to us to come and do that. Interestingly, we work for an organisation called WEC International, who is a, uh, a group of missionaries around the world who don't get paid. So we live by faith, which means we don't have salary. No one at Worldview gets paid and no one in WEC gets paid. So that was an interesting challenge, an interesting invitation that came from God. To live knowing that all of our finances come and are provided through God, which is how we all live when we think about it. We all live under the provision of God. For some people, that's a salary. For some people, that might be um, a Centrelink allowance like Oz Study. For Danny and I, it's family and friends that support us financially. It's um, part of the MMO offering that is given to us after each Christmas because we are Door of Hope missionaries sent to Worldview. Some of that is thanks to our awesome government that uh, gives us um, support for our children, um, as many of you receive. And it's a process of fully relying on him to see where our income comes from. So he invited us to change our perspective on money, I guess, and our perspective on how that provision comes to us. Uh, that calling might look very different for you. And uh, Steve spoke to us a couple of weeks ago about being rich. And I must say, I still consider myself rich living in this country because of the amazing resources we have at our disposal. You may not feel that way, and God's provision is still something that uh, you're working through at the moment. But I want to read another story of someone who was invited, not a disciple, but a man named Zacchaeus. So I'm going to read, if you have your Bibles or your devices, uh, from Luke chapter 19. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, just like the disciples, I imagine that Zacchaeus knew something about Jesus. It wasn't just that he saw this guy and thought, oh, who is he? He would have heard about Jesus and heard some of the stories. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. 
He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. There's the invitation. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Now, when we read this story, it seems that Uh, Jesus actually invited himself to Zacchaeus' house um, and they sat down and eat and suddenly Zacchaeus just stood up and said, I'm giving all my money away. I think there maybe was a conversation in between. Um, Maybe Jesus spoke to him about um, the fact that he was not being an upright and righteous tax collector. It said he was a sinner. There was a sense that he wasn't doing what he should be doing. There was a challenge laid out. Jesus gave an invitation, but he also brought a challenge to Zacchaeus to change the way he was using his resources and his money, to change the way he was operating. It seems that Zacchaeus did become a disciple, a follower of Jesus, although not one of the 12. He started on a journey of allowing Jesus to change the way he lived. And I imagine over the time, he pointed the way to Jesus for other people. His lifestyle, I hope, did that because of the changes he made. Does the way you live invite people to ask questions of you? I work uh, every Thursday at Calvary, St. Vincent's in in town as a nurse in an operating theatre. So I usually work with the same group of people um, each Thursday. And we sometimes have conversations about faith and about where I live at Worldview and why we eat dinner together every night and lunchtime. And I tell them that I get my dinner cooked every night and they think that's awesome. And um, a doctor asked me not long ago, Christy, why are missionaries so weird and dress funny? And I have to admit, I have thought the same thing. Uh, often. Socks and sandals come to mind. No joke, two years ago at Worldview, a missionary came to speak wearing socks and sandals. I'm like, you're not doing us any favours wearing the socks and sandals. But I had, a ch- I had a think, and I responded to him, and I really felt like the Holy Spirit gave me an answer for him. And I said, it's because their priorities are so different to yours. A missionary basically sets their career their vocation, to be someone who speaks to people about God and brings them to a place where they might connect with him. That's what a missionary does, whether that's here in Launceston or in the Congo, anywhere. To do that full-time, your perspective and your priorities need to be different to someone who doesn't know Jesus, and radically different, actually, so much so that people see them as weird, And the reality is, if you're not earning any money um, from a salary, 
buying new clothes that are fitting in with 2017 isn't maybe the biggest priority that you have. Maybe other things are different. Maybe the culture you're from makes you look weird when you come back here because you're not really belonging to this culture either. So I said to him, yeah, missionaries probably are weird and they do dress funny, but it's because their priorities are different. Their focus is different. Does being a disciple of Jesus make you different or perhaps a little weird? Do your responses cause anyone to go, oh, it's unusual? You give money to the church and you feel happy about that? Does that raise any conversations with the people you work with and the people you know? Does the way you spend your money, your generosity, is that any different to anyone that you know? Money is an obstacle for us being a disciple of Jesus. It's quite a statement. 16 of the 38 parables in the Bible talk to us about money. Jesus talked about money a lot. One out of every 10 verses in the gospel is about money and possessions, a tenth. The Bible has about 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 on faith, 2,000 about money and possessions. It's a topic that scripture gives to us to explore because there's just so much of it in there. When we're not generous with money, it becomes our master. We become its servant. Last week, Ben spoke from Matthew about this topic, having treasures on earth that capture our vision. Do you remember? The seen things on earth capture our vision. When they capture our vision, we become a servant to them. That's what that passage in Matthew is saying. On the other hand, when we have treasures in heaven, heaven and the Lord who lives there captures our vision and we're a servant to him. Where our vision is, where our perspective is, where our focus is, is where our heart is. And Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When we are not generous with money, we become a servant to it. So what does being a disciple of Jesus look like when it comes to our money, when it comes to our giving, when it comes to our generosity? If Jesus has called us to be his disciples and speaks so much about money, how do these things come together as disciples of Jesus? I want to suggest our three different areas where they do. We're going upwards, inwards, and outwards. So we're thinking triangle. Yes? We've all got a triangle. Let's start with upwards. Philippians 4, verse 18 says this. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. The offerings from these people in Scripture are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. When we are generous and give to God with a generous heart, there's a fellowship with God that we get to experience. 
because our focus is on him. And when we see someone and connect with them, there's relationship that comes. There's worship that comes when we give. At Door of Hope, we often speak about our offerings, our money offerings being worship because we are experiencing the fact that everything we have comes from him. And when we give some of that back, we're saying, we know it's from you. We could give it all back and still be able to say, we know it's all from you. There's worship. In Matthew, in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, it says this, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in love we have kindled in you, see also that you excel in the grace of giving. Now, it seems to me that Paul is giving a bit of a list of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what to excel in in being a disciple. He says, excel in faith. Excel in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in love. All good things, am I right? Yes, we would hope that a disciple of Jesus is developing these things, is learning to excel. But then he says, but don't forget, see also that you excel in giving. He's adding giving, generosity, into this list of awesome discipleship traits. And he says, don't forget it. Make sure you keep that in mind. So upwards... What was the next one? Inwards. Inwards. We're talking about our faith community that we belong to, the body of Christ, whether that's our local one here at Door of Hope or another faith community you might be a part of, or the global faith community, this, the global church that um, Jesus put in place when he was on earth. In Acts 2.42, a well-known passage that talks about the, this initial faith community, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The body of Christ was supported by people being generous with their resources and their money and their possessions. No one was left out. No one was left behind because they were generous. But what does that last phrase say? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. People noticed. One of the things they noticed was the generosity. Do people notice at Door of Hope that we are a generous church? Does that bring people to Door of Hope and to Jesus? Does your giving make people take notice like it did in that first church in Acts. Meeting the needs of the faith community brings people to Jesus. Outwards, the last one. 1 Corinthians 6, 16, 1-2 says, Now about the collection of the Lord's, for the Lord's people, 
Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Paul is suggesting this. He's the missionary. And he's saying, put some money aside each time, each, at the beginning of each week, maybe each time you meet, so that when I come through, when other missionaries come through, you'll be ready and you'll be prepared and you don't have to quickly gather up some things, but you'll be prepared. God is on mission in the world. He has a mission to bring people to himself and God fulfills that mission through us and the resources that he gives us. He instructs us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them everything that he commanded. But then he also resources that mission through us. So each year we have an MMO at Door of Hope, a Miracle Missions Offering, which we talk about in November and December. This is a way that we prepare to give to mission, to give to what God is doing on this earth. And we know that we do that locally, nationally, and internationally. And then when there's um, disasters, when there's a special mission need, we're prepared, just as Paul um, suggested to the Galatian church, to the church in Corinth. Here's the challenge. Do we intentionally use our resources to share God's mission? Or do we just say that missionaries do that? Or do we just say, well, I speak to people, that's enough. God's fulfilling his mission through us. We need to resource that. So our three things, upwards, generosity in our giving, brings worship and fellowship with God. Could we call that being Jesus-centered? Inwards, meeting the needs of our faith community builds up the body of Christ, but also points people to Jesus. Could we call that together in community? Outwards, God is on mission, and he fulfills that mission through us and the resources that he's given through us. Could we call that being others-focused? That's our mission, to bring others to Jesus. So God, Jesus, calls the disciples to him. They're with him. They're learning from him. They're getting a picture of who Jesus is. They're standing at his shoulder as apprentices. And in Matthew 16, he asks the question of the disciples. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of God, the Son of Man is? Who do people say that Jesus is? He's meaning. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Who do you say I am? You are the Messiah, son of the living God. This statement demonstrated the disciple that Peter was becoming. He was a Jew, 
and the Jews were waiting for the Messiah, the culmination of the whole history of Israel, of his people. And he was able to say, Jesus, you are that person. You are the son of the living God. Such a deep and profound statement. God had revealed this to him and had shown him who he was. And everything he did after that was built on that foundation of knowing who he was. What he did with his life, he spent his life telling people who Jesus was. He was on mission for Jesus, using his resources, using who he was to share who God was to anyone who would listen. Who do you say Jesus is? Because how you answer that question should determine how you use your money. Who is Jesus to you? We've just done Alpha. It's a great start. It gives us such a beautiful picture. And maybe you've started coming to Door of Hope during Alpha and you've got that first picture of who Jesus was. Maybe you're 20 minutes in the chair. You're discovering who Jesus is, looking at how he lived and what he taught. Are you listening to his voice? As Ben uh, spoke about last week, Are you taking faith steps after hearing what he has to say to you? Is who Jesus is changing who you are as a person? And are people noticing? Does your discipleship change how you use your money? That's my question for you today. Your discipleship journey is your own, and Jesus invites us each to a different calling. He's invited Danny and I to a calling where I think probably for the rest of our lives, we'll be looking to God for our finances. Maybe he's called you to a calling where finances are in abundance, but the discipleship journey is the same. Is he influencing your generosity? Are you fellowshipping with him as you give? Is it affecting your upwards, your inwards, and your outwards? Who do you say he is? We're coming uh, to communion now, and if um, the communion uh, servers would like to come and uh, begin to give that out, it's a reminder for me every single week of the invitation he gives to me. And I just love how he invites us each week to have a meal with him. It's like an invitation written on a piece of paper that he draws himself each and every week and presents to us. He says, take this biscuit. It's like my body. Make it a part of you. And then he says, take this blood, this juice. Make it a part of you like I am a part of you. Be part of me. Be part of doing what I'm doing. Be part of my mission. Sit with me. Be with me. And we're going to do that together right now. I'm going to pray. Feel free to keep um, passing the trays along. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your invitation that you are not a God of orders, but you are a God of come, be with me. And as we sit here as our community of faith this morning, sitting together as a body of Christ, Lord, would you help us 
to set our eyes on you, that we may have fellowship, that we may see you in the unseen, that our treasure in you would guide our vision. Thank you for your body and your blood that you gave for us. Thank you that you call us to be disciples. In your good, good name. Amen.